that is actually the key to being innovative is failing. You fail, you evolve, and you grow, right? That's how you become more innovative. From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. This episode is part two of my conversation with Marquette University President Mike Lovell. In part one, we discussed innovation broadly and the changes higher education will need to make in the future. In part two, we focus on another major issue in society today, trauma. As you will hear in this conversation, Mike is at the forefront of trauma-informed care in Milwaukee as he started SWIM, Scaling Wellness in Milwaukee. As I learned firsthand, mental health is often overlooked and not considered a real health issue. We somehow believe that our brain is not connected to the rest of our body. Whether someone is suffering from anxiety, depression, or trauma, these are issues that many people are facing each day. These are issues in need of innovation. I'm proud of this episode because I think it highlights a key point that innovation is not only for business, innovation can be applied to health and social problems as well. Innovative leaders can be nonprofit executives, social entrepreneurs, and even community activists. As Laurel Hamilton was quoted as saying, there are wounds that never show on the body that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. And I think Mike's experience with trauma further illustrates this point. Enjoy part two of my conversation with Mike Lovell, and we resume right where we left off. I want to talk about trauma. And and before we get into the work you're doing there, I, I wanted to ask you so much of who we are comes from our experiences growing up. And can you give us some insight how you growing up has shaped you as someone who cares about this issue of trauma and how it gives you some perspective to go about, you know, taking this on? You know, where I started down this path was uh, two years ago, uh, we have something called the Marquette Forum. And uh, two years ago, the forum was on health and equity, you know, in, in Milwaukee. And so the forum, we have about 30 to 40 events all year long around this one topic where we have... You know, we have panels, we have lectures, we have we watch movies and have discussions, we have dialogue dinners. And it was November of 2017 that we had a a panel that had uh, the Milwaukee Police Department was there, the um, District Attorney's Office was there. We had people from education, uh, M- the MPS. We had people from economic development. We had people from uh, journalism. We had some of our neuroscience teachers. We had seven or eight panelists that were talking about the health disparities in, in just the disparities in general that Milwaukee faced. And as each of them uh, started drilling down where they thought the root causes were the disparities, every single one got to trauma. It was great for me. It was one of those things where it was an aha moment. I said, oh my gosh, if we're going to help heal Milwaukee and disparities, then we're going to have to address trauma. And again, as part of this process, uh, there's something called the adverse child experiences that I learned about something called ACEs. And it's a simple test, you, 10 questions you answer. 
And uh, I took the test and I scored five out of 10, which means I had five of the things that uh, were on the list. I, I had experienced five of them. And it was really eye-opening to me because I found out that the research has shown that if you score four out of 10 on this test, your likelihood of being successful in life is like 12%. It goes way down. And and so uh, I became very interested, okay, why, if I had these average child experiences, you know, which meant I had grew up with a, a, an unstable environment, how was I able to be successful when knowing that the majority of the population uh, was was not. And so, you know, there was a very personal part of this this trauma, you know, and the ACEs are really, you know, a measure of how much trauma you experience as a kid. You know, after taking the test, you know, I really, I did a lot of reflection and thought and, you know, you know, talked with Amy a lot about this. And what I realized was the fact that I grew up in a small town. And even though my immediate family, you know, was, was fairly unstable and had issues, when you're in a small town, you it's really hard to get lost. You know, I had teachers, I had coaches, I had people at my church that all were looking after me and caring for me, and, and particularly my friends' parents. You know, there were times when I would go stay for weeks at a time with some of my friends and their parents. They took me into their home when my my home life was unstable. And the research has shown that those who experience trauma, if you have two, if you're a kid, you have two caring adults in your life, you know, your chances of success go way up. And, you know, this resonated with me from multiple levels, both from a personal level, realizing that, you know, I was fortunate that I had people that invested in me that actually, they, they made me resilient. So, you know, I, you know, I'm fairly passionate about ensuring that others that experience, have experienced trauma can learn resilience. And the great thing is that the brain science now has really advanced. So we know we can create new pathways in the brain. So even if you're an adult, our brain has plasticity, so we can still, you know, evolve and grow and, and heal from experiences we had as kids. And so any age now, you know, we want to help prevent trauma for the, for the kids, but even the adults in Milwaukee that have experienced trauma, we can actually help them heal and help them lead a better life. So you had, I think maybe it was a little over a year ago, yeah, you and Amy had recommended that I read a book called The Deepest Well. The correlation between trauma and lifetime health issues, as I read the book and saw the science, it was unbelievable that in a way that I probably was one of those people that believe, well, some people are just tough enough to get out of it. And what you realize is that trauma is actually changing your body. There are real medical conditions that get imprinted because of these things that happen. And so for me, as an engineer, the more these problems become science problems or health problems, right? It's not, it's in your head. It's, yeah, it's in your head and your head's part of your body and it's a system and it's all connected. Okay, this starts to make sense. And so to me, just getting that awareness was a really big deal because, you know, at the end of my career, I had a heart issue and thought it was better. And I come back and I get diagnosed with a cumulative stress anxiety disorder. So I didn't grow up with this, but I created a different kind of stress on my body that eventually results in an anxiety disorder that I, I couldn't even relate it to before. And I didn't know who to tell her what to do about it. I was, I don't know if I was embarrassed. I'm the CEO, right? Am I supposed to talk about this? And the first time I went to talk to someone at work, I took aside one of my senior leaders that I thought I could talk to. And I mentioned this and they said, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm glad you told me. But I really don't think you should tell anyone else. I don't think people will be comfortable having you lead the company if they know you have a mental health issue. And I have to tell you, Mike, I I didn't know what to do. And, and I actually, so I didn't say anything for a little while, but it really took me a while to realize that 
one, to get healthy, talking about it is part of that. But also the fact that we can talk about this is none of these problems are getting solved if we don't bring these issues out in the open. And and part of this is as simple as getting rid of the stigma. I think it's um, something like 20% of Americans in the case of anxiety have treatable anxiety and less than a third ever get treated. What you've done in terms of one, sharing your story, but also getting the awareness out there, I think is so critical. But, but let me test that. So what else should we or can we do to get the stigma out of the way so we can get at the real problems? Yeah. So the key is, 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 as you've already pointed out, it's education. So the first goal is when we started SWIM was you know, helping everyone be trauma-informed. And again, understanding that there, the science is behind this. So it is not you – know, mental health is like any other physical issue that we have with our bodies and it's it's no different than in fact it shouldn't be even be you know we shouldn't even have a stigma around mental health it's just be it should be part of health in general right and you know going back to what you you were talking about for with the deepest well you know one of the things that we learned is that our trauma is passed down from generation to generation so if our parents experience trauma you know those genes can be expressed in us when we have certain situations and again that leads to so many you know health issues and problems that, that we have you know, so the first thing is we need to to let everyone know in terms of the education that this is like any other you know health issue that we have out there. You know, it's no different than diabetes or asthma. You know, it, it's just one of those things that we need to address with a public health campaign the way we do you know other issues, and that's the first thing. So, if we educate people that hey, there's significant science behind this, then you know hopefully that'll get rid of the stigma. I tend to find this is a generational thing. So a generation older than us. Never talked about it. You know, our generation talk about it a little bit more, but there still is a fear that we'll be looked at as weak or or maybe that we won't, you know, people worry about us. And then finally, I think, you know, what I see in students today in the millennials is that they are much more comfortable talking about this and the awareness for them has, has gone up significantly. So when we think about what we're trying to do with SWIM is, first of all, give everybody the knowledge that they need need to understand, you know, what trauma and, and the mental health and other issues that it, that it brings about. And the only way we're going to solve this is by talking about it and actually making it, you know, taking this larger public health approach. It's been a really eye-opening experience. As I tell people, I think I could have been sympathetic to someone who told me they had mental health, but I don't know that I could have been empathetic before. And I think that's one of the challenges is, is that's, that's just an awareness issue. And, you know, my doctor, when I told him, I went in to see him for some issues, and when I was first battling, he says, yeah, we, we talk about my heart and some of the issues we were working on there. I go, okay, now I want to talk about that other stuff, the mental stuff. He goes, why do you act like it's not a health issue? He goes, as far as I know, your brain is in your body. For some reason, we took our brain out of the equation. When it's a complete, and as an engineer, it's obvious it's a connected system, right? So let me get back to SWIM. If you look out five or 10 years, what does success look like? So, you know, it's really interesting because the reason why we got into this, you know, was to really help address the inequities in Milwaukee. So I think about five and 10 years out, you know, we will help change uh, the paradigm in Milwaukee. You know, we are the most segregated city. You know, we have some of the biggest disparities of any place in the country. Success will be helping parts of our community which experiences disparities provide a mechanism and a way to help them lift themselves up and give them support that they need 
to really change the trajectory of the people living in those neighborhoods and change their lives. And, you know, we use the term community-led and community-driven. That's the only way this is going to work. The solutions, you know, to helping address the inequities are really going to have to come, you know, from members of the community. And we need to provide the support and the resources that they can help lift themselves up and, and make a difference. So when I think about what Sigusso in five, 10 years is that we are making a significant impact on helping people within the communities that are facing the biggest challenges in Milwaukee evolve and change and improve. You know, one of the things I read about uh, when I was doing a little research on SWIM is, and I think it came out in some of the early conversations you guys had as a group, is that there was a lot of organizations that have a role to help in different ways and places. But they're kind of like a university. They're pretty siloed. How do we get those organizations to see that there's a greater good? So the first, I will say that, you know, I had, I'm on the board of Children's Hospital and you know, we're trying to develop the healthiest kids in, in, in the country for Wisconsin. And, and mental health has now become a really important issue for us. And behavioral health for kids has become something important for children. And, and we looked, you know, we have, a, we have a diagram that talks about the continuity of care that you need to help, uh, you know, a child around their mental emotional health. There are seven or eight different factors or different different ways that you have to help support these children. Even at Children's Hospital, there we may address two or three. There is not one organization that can impact all the different ways we need to support students and, and children for their emotional health. And so the only way that we're going to move the needle on this, particularly for all these kids that are experiencing trauma, is by coordinating the efforts of a lot of different organizations. And so uh, what the challenge is, is that, you know, we talk about, you know, we all need people to keep swimming in their own lane, you know, but we all have to recognize we're part of a pool. I had a real, again, a, a transformational moment for me was the very second meeting we had in February of last year, where we had an African-American female pastor was sitting next to one of our neuroscience faculty, you know, from biological science, biomedical sciences. And she was talking about this issue she was facing, you know, in a thinner community. And the neuroscience faculty was actually helping her come up with solutions to that problem that she was facing. And I realized that these two would have never have met each other any other way than by having these meetings. And that was a really, really good thing. You know, as you were as you were describing that, I was thinking about where we started this conversation. And you talked about the work you did and what made certain teams innovative. And it, 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 it's almost an analogy to that, right? Getting people in a room, getting them to interact more regularly, creating these collisions and great communication, and really having, you know, a, a commitment around a common problem. It, it's interesting. The, the solution you've implemented looks a bit like some of the work you did around what makes a successful innovation team. And so it just seems like, I don't know that we intended to start there, but it certainly does seem to come full circle and connect that dot. Yeah. And so it's interesting because part of that process, you know, I use, I use, always use the term, you know, you, you move at the speed of trust and whether it be in that small team where you're solving problems, where you're getting to know one another in, you know, the, the trust that develops that you can be comfortable poking at someone else's idea same thing in the community. If we're going to solve these problems, we have to have trust one another and respect each other's, you know, opinions. And, and again, in these meetings, be able to talk about the tough issues. And one of the biggest turning points for SWIM is when we started talking about race and recognizing that race was a really important part of why we're in this position that we're in here as a community, because there were decisions made, you know, 40, 50 years ago that didn't allow people from 
one ethnic group to even live in certain parts of the city, right? And and or even be able to own a home, you know, and those things, you know, you know, have implications today. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, for you and I, we're white males, right? So we can be informed, but we can't always fully understand. Uh, when I when I took over as Cree CEO, one of the first people that came to see me was he was the Durham County Commissioner. And at one time he had been the head of the local NAACP and he just came to see me and he just said, hey, I, I want to give you some insight. And I said, OK, I really had no idea what this is about. And his point was, as you do this job, keep in mind that this community went through something. And these are the maybe not the people that were at that lunch counter having a sit in to try to get their rights, but these are their kids. And they have a perspective and a history that is way different. And you just have to realize you can't fully understand it. And I think it's a huge part of everyone's got a story. And if you don't respect it or someone, I think you miss those opportunities. So, you know, you are taking on Two of the largest problems we're facing today, okay, the disruption of higher education and taking on trauma. And some people, I'm sure a lot of people have looked at these in the past and just said they're too big to take on. I just, it, it's overwhelming. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the size of the problem? So to answer your first question, there are days uh, when you do get up and you think, gosh, you know, am I really making a difference? This is, This problem is so huge. A couple of things, you know, one of the things, you know, as, as you and I are both engineers, you know, one of the great benefits that we have through our education is we're system level thinkers. And in both cases, the solution to these things are system changes, right? So how do we change a system? And so luckily, you know, I know that, you know, to change a system, you know, it, it takes time and it takes effort. And for me, you know, the, what gets me going every day is as long as I see positive progress towards those system level changes. And so I often think about the systems we're working in developed over periods of decades and to unwind them is also going to take decades, right? And so yep. that helps me think that. And and I will say there's there's other cases that you can look to. One thing that also gives me hope is when I look at higher ed, there are institutions that are making that transition that are leading now that we're kind of following. And the same is, you know, true, you know, in the other space, you know, as well, in terms of addressing the trauma. There are people that are figuring this out. And uh, it was one of the really good things that happened uh, through the trauma through SWIM is the Consulate General of Israel read one of the articles uh, that was written about the effort. As it turns out, Israel is a, is a country has been, you know, dealing with trauma for, for hundreds of years. And uh, not only with all the violence that occurs within the country, but every person, when they're 18 years old, they go into the military and they're exposed, you know, to, to lots of trauma through that as well. And so they, as a country, uh, they started something called Natal about 20... 25 years ago to specifically address trauma within their population because they recognize what it was was happening all these people with PTSD and other things and how it was affecting the country in a very negative way and there was actually one woman uh, who who um, who experienced significant trauma her husband had passed away her parents passed away uh, through some traumatic experience she was a colonel in the army and uh, she decided that she wanted to make her life's mission to address the trauma that the population of Israel was forming. So she started Natal. Today, it is one of the most successful organizations in in the world at addressing trauma. And she has literally transformed the country of Israel through her work. 
So I often think that if one woman had, could make this remission and change a country, we can change the city of Milwaukee. And so it gives us hope. This sounds uh, inadequate, but I would tell you that uh, on behalf of the uh, Milwaukee community, I'm very thankful for what you and Amy are doing. So you were quoted as saying that if you were to give a new TED Talk, it would be called Leadership, What I've Learned from All the Mistakes I've Made. Is there any mistakes that you could share today that you would include in that talk as maybe a preview from when that actually oh. happens? But you learn as a leader, you know, I don't know about you, but... I was I kind of evolved into leadership positions without any training. I never took any leadership courses. You know, I never had any even seminars that I did. Same here. And so as I became a leader, unfortunately, the way I became, I believe I've become a better leader is by the mistakes I've made. And unfortunately, when you make mistakes as a leader, the people that you're working with and report to you are the ones that suffer. And so I, I oftentimes I feel very bad for some of the people I worked with early in my career when I had leadership when I didn't, you know, when I was trying to figure out what I was doing. I think the biggest thing, you know, that I learned, you know, and again, there's, I actually give a talk where I go through uh, kind of the 10 things I, I learned to try to pass on to others about leadership. Uh, one of the first things that, that I always talk about in that, that talk was the fact that when I first became a leader, I didn't want to show anyone that I had any vulnerabilities, that I was this really strong leader, that I was, you know, always put myself forward you know, is, is, you know, not having any flaws. And, and so what the mistake I made there was, is that, you know, I, I really separated any of my personal life or anything about me personally with my leadership. Well, that's just the opposite of the way you need to lead because you want to be a leader where people follow you because they want to follow you, not because they have to, right? Because that's when you get a really... You, yeah, people get, follow people. People, exactly. And so... If you don't show your vulnerabilities, it's really hard for people to attach to you if they think that you're this perfect, strong person all the time because all of us are flawed and have things that we, you know, are limitations and do wrong. And the more we are willing to be vulnerable and talk and expose those things to others, the more they are able to attach to you and more readily will follow you. And so uh, even with SWIM, one of the things that I knew I had to do to lead this effort was talk about my background and my past and my aces and the things I experienced, which be quite honest with you, that was not comfortable. You know, yeah. you know, we're all wouldn't be somewhat private people and to, to expose our flaws like yeah. you did, you know, leading Cree when you had your anxiety. You know, it's you have to it's vulnerable, but at, at the end of the day, you know, you know, people no longer question my motivation. Until I did that, people would say, Well, why is he doing this? You know, why you know, is is he arrogant to think he can come in and solve these problems that we're facing around trauma in the city when he's never experienced the trauma that I'm seeing if, if I'm living in the city. Well, by doing that, people then say, oh, this makes some sense. You know, my, I, now I understand why Mike's passionate about this. It was certainly, I think, if you and I go back, we're almost the same age. So if we went back 30 years, I think the fact that either one of us, we would both uh, lose a lot of money betting that we would ever talk about our own mental health struggles yes, at some point, right? Exactly. I don't think that would happen. All right. Well, for someone out there who's in an organization that thinks they want to pursue innovation, but who feels, you know, I meet a lot of people who say, I wish I could do that. I, I feel like I can't. What advice do you have for that person that hears these innovation stories and hears all these great problems you're taking on, but doesn't feel like they can do it themselves? What, what advice would you give them? Well, going back to where we started this conversation, when you follow processes that are tried and true, Anybody can be innovative. You know, again, some of us are more predisposed than others, but you just have to trust 
you know, that when you go through these processes that you can, you know, evolve and be innovative because we, we, and again, it's been showed it can happen. All of us can be innovative. All of us can be an entrepreneurial. When I meet those people, the one thing is you have to, you can't be afraid to fail because that is actually the key to being innovative is failing. You fail, you evolve, and you grow, right? That's how you become more innovative. And Failure is actually a learning process. Yes. Like it's, it's a, the term I use is the fuel of innovation. Yeah. And, you know, I always, I always tell when I have my class, I always say, you learn more from your failures than your successes. I wish we didn't have call them failures because, again, they're just learning opportunities, right? I would take your idea. And, and the, the one thing I would say is that I think when we use the word process, some people misunderstand. It's, it's not just follow these steps. It's, it's a human process. Yeah. It's about you. And as you as a person have to go through this, right? So what you were teaching them was is not just to wait to do the prototype. You, that was the actual thing. You, you want them to wait. But what you really want them to understand is why you were waiting, right? Because there's something you're learning along the way. And I think too often, you know, my challenge is, is that people want to make innovation a recipe. There are definitely things we know make it more successful, but it's not it's not exactly a recipe because if it was, you'd get the same result as the last. Right? So there's yeah. something, it, it's so much about the person. So I, I want to wrap it up with one last question. What should I have asked you that I didn't? I will just say that, you know, when I think about, you know, whether it be swim or, or higher in general, you know, we have to understand that, you know, that there are forces that are driving these things to occur. And it's not an option to stand still. You know, just the reality is, is that, you know, standing still is the only way I know for sure you're going to fail going forward. And so... I think, you know, whatever, what field or sector you're in, if you are not trying to be innovative and trying to evolve, uh, you can count your days being numbered, you know, in that field because, you know, the, I think things are changing so fast. So I think everyone needs to be focused on being innovative. Yeah, and I think that if uh, if you don't have to just believe us, just look at the history of every organization or industry. It eventually comes, you know, in, in my world – I remember the lighting guys telling me that there was no reason to ever have LED lighting. What we have is good enough. And those three major companies don't make light bulbs anymore. Yeah. And so it, it, and it's and it's hard when you're there, but there is great casework, whether it be in industry or other organizations. It you can't stop innovation. You're either part of it or it yeah. <laughs> it, it it changes your life in a way maybe you don't want in the end. Mike, thank you for your insight. I think uh, as a Marquette alum, as a former trustee, we can't thank you enough for leading Marquette. Um, it's wonderful to have your perspective at a time when it, it's a challenging time. But you know, with change comes opportunity, I think, as well. So it's a chance to do some things different. And for the the stuff you and Amy are doing in Milwaukee, I like I said before, I, I don't know anyone who's taking on two problems quite as large as you guys are and uh, just incredibly thankful for all the work uh, you're doing. Well, thanks, Chuck, and thanks for having me. And we're real proud to have you as an alum. Oh, my pleasure. Yep. I hope you enjoyed part two of my conversation with Mike Lovell. As Mike said, if we are going to help heal Milwaukee and disparities, we are going to have to address trauma. This doesn't just apply to Milwaukee, but across the country. And we learned that you can't be afraid to fail because that is actually the key to being innovative. You fail, you evolve, you grow. You learn more from your failures than from your successes. Our conversation highlighted that innovation is not tied to a certain industry. 
Innovation is ultimately about solving a problem and creating value. In this case, the problem is specifically trauma, but more generally, mental health. If you found value in this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you know someone who might be interested, please share the podcast. Our goal is to enable an entire new generation of innovators and leaders. And exposing more people to the conversations happening in this podcast will help us do just that. I want to thank the team at Go Get It Marketing and Media for their support and help with the launch of this podcast. We are always open to critical feedback. My belief as an innovator is anything you do today can be done better tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on this journey and developing your own innovator spirit. Let's go change the world.